I'm excited to be here this morning. Uh, special day today. We, we've been out of town this week, uh, several days with our college students. We had a group of about 34, 35, I don't know how many had. I think that's how many came back. But anyways, we, uh, we went to uh, Atlanta and we were part of Passion. And, uh, and what I did is we, we, we could ask so many of them, all, all 35 of them, to come up here and share testimony and give word. But I asked a few of them uh, just to give some takeaways. And so this morning I got three fellows going to come and share. Uh, we'll, whatever order you all feel comfortable in, you come on up and give us a little takeaway from Passion this week. Just share with us, all right? You can use this microphone right here. So before Passion, um, I was really, we were, me and a couple of buddies were reading through Job, um, and I was really having a hard time understanding um, through the fact that through struggles, so many people were growing in their faith. Even though they messed up or had struggles, they grew through the faith. And so in my mind, I'm thinking, am I supposed to, to pray for struggles to come um, so that my faith can grow? Um, and during Passion, and I was not expecting for this to be answered, this is just something that I was um, just thinking about. And during Passion, one of the speakers came and spoke about what Passion meant and what Passion is. And um, he later said that it's not that we're supposed to pray for struggles to come, but it's, it's that we are to expect it because we follow Jesus. Jesus never promised a good life. Jesus never promised for our, our lives to be easy. And he did promise struggles, but he also promised that if we abide in him and we stay in his word and we love him, that those struggles won't matter to us. If we just endure, and he brought up the verse, um, 1 Corinthians 13, 7, which says, Love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful, and endures through every circumstance. And he made mention that that word endures is the same word that he used for when Jesus went and endured the cross and endured everything that the cross brings. It's not that we are good or we are better than anyone, and when struggles come, we are to be like, oh, well, I'm such a good person, but it's that we live for Christ. We live for him, and everything we do is because of him. So when struggles do come, um, it's just him. It's, we do it for him. Um, after he spoke about endurance, um, the song that was sung afterwards was called Christ Be Magnified. And that song spoke really strong to me at this one part, and I'll just read out the lyrics to you. It says, I won't bow to idols. I'll stand strong and worship you. And if it puts me in the fire, I'll rejoice because you're there too. I won't be formed by feelings. I'll hold fast to what is true. If the cross brings transformation, then I'll be crucified with you. Because death is just the doorway into resurrection life. And if I join you in your suffering, then I'll join you when you rise. And when you return in glory with all the angels and the saints, my heart will still be singing. My song will be the saying, oh, Christ be magnified in me. The reason Christians, and this might sound discouraging that, oh, you know, as a Christian, I have to go through struggles for God. But it's actually an encouragement because we get to go through struggles for God. We are, it's an honor to do that because I mean, it's God, and we get to do that, and he loves us so much that he gets to, that he chooses us. And he said, even though you've done so much and you, you're not worthy, I still love you. And because of that, Jesus came and died for us. And so to follow him, 
we are to endure the world and we are to endure the, the struggles that the world brings because of that song, that last part that says, if I join you in your suffering, then I'll join you when you rise. And when you return in glory with all the angels and the saints, my heart will still be singing. We are, we are not here for the world. We are here to serve God. And so when we have struggles on earth, it, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter at all because Because God promises us a better life for us if we just trust that he's in control. That's all it is, is trust that he is there. For us to sacrifice that love and to instead ignore the struggles and instead be like, uh, let me be comfortable. To do that is to sacrifice the promise that God gave us, that he'll be there for us. So I want to live my life wanting to grow in God which means that struggles will come. But I know that when the struggles come, God will be with me. And just like Job, he's going through a lot. And he is really going through a lot. But every single chapter, he comes to glorify God. Um, and he does have questions. It's not easy. But at the end of the day, he says, God, I don't know what's going on. But no matter what, I'm going to praise you. And I want that passion. And that was my takeaway. Um, for passion. Um, and then lastly, I just want to give a huge shout out to Morningside College. Um, they've done a lot for me. They've, they're really good friends. And I just want to make notice that, um, you know, Morningside College might not have all the answers. We might not know everything about the Bible. But that college group right there, college and career group, is on fire for God. And we want to learn more. And um, thank you. All righty. Well, uh, I'm not a big public speaker, but uh, Pastor Brian asked me to come up here, and Holy Spirit put it on my heart to share. So uh, I'll read you all my takeaways from this week. This week at Passion, the main theme for me was being in the presence of God. When we are saved, we are gifted with the Holy Spirit, which allows us to be in the presence of God at all times in all circumstances of life. One of the points made was that as humans, we are created to be perfect mirrors, reflecting whatever it is we give our attention to the most. When we walk with God, we allow his Holy Spirit to shine in us and through us. This is how he reveals himself to those around us. My biggest takeaway came from Hebrews 12.1. This verse relates our life to a race and how we must run it with endurance as our faith puts us in hardships throughout our life. Once we are saved, our destination is sealed and our lives reflect Philippians 1.21, which states to live is Christ and to die is gain. Our race isn't against the timelines of ourselves, though. It's against the timelines of our friends and family members who aren't saved. This made me think about all the people who would miss out on heaven if Jesus came back tomorrow just because I've been too proud or too nervous to share the word with them. With this being said, though, I was also reassured by the understanding that I walk in the presence of God wherever I go. The Holy Spirit empowers me to overcome any stumbling block I have, so I have no reason to hesitate in spreading God's word and should do so with a sense of urgency. My final takeaway is that our surroundings shouldn't dictate how we act. I want to be the same whether I'm in a stadium worshiping alongside 20,000 other college believers or in a classroom or workplace without any other believers.
Hey, y'all, I'm Landon. For those of y'all that don't know me, um, and my takeaway from this passion that we went to uh, was just that people are worth it. Um, people are worth going through awkward moments. People are worth your friends and family that are around you that I don't even bring it up all the time around my friends and my family. But they're worth it. They're worth it to have that awkward moment. They were worth it to Jesus Christ. Like, why are they worth it? Like, how do you know the person that you're debating, talking about with is worth it? That Jesus Christ went and he died for them. He was worth it to Jesus Christ. He should be worth it to you. And it's not always going to be easy. It's awkward to shine your light where the light isn't typically shown. People are going to notice, but people are supposed to. People are supposed to notice that you're on fire for Christ, and that matters to you to be awkward in those moments. And going to passion, I don't always feel God. When, I, when I'm here, like day to day, a lot of my walk is based on my faith and not my feelings. I don't always feel God when I pray or just reading the word. I don't always just feel him like an overwhelming um, sensation of his presence. But going to passion, that, that changed my life and it changed the way I view people. Not because of all the believers there, not because of the building and all the lights and everything, but it's because I came into the presence of God. The presence of God is what gives you that fire. That presence of God can be made today. And every day that you wake up, you have a decision to make. You have a decision to love God, to obey God, to serve God, and to choose God every day of your life. To walk into the presence of God. It wasn't passion. It was just that I came into his presence and he showed me what it means to be a Christian and to be a part of the church. We're going to have struggles. We're supposed to run with everything we ha have in this race. We have temptation, we have struggles, and we have idols that come along the way. That's going to slow us down. But that's why you have the church. That's why you have fellow believers. What Raymond talked about with our college group are people that can come alongside you when you're feeling slow, when you don't feel like it, when you don't feel God. But to encourage you to get up because we're going to go again. You're supposed to be the church. Be the church to each other. And people can't encourage you if you don't let them know your struggles. Let people know your struggles so that people can come alongside you and tell you to get up and help you along the way. And one of the final things that I took away from passion was one of the speakers. He mentioned a song written about um, Alexander Hamilton. And it went, right, it went like this. It said, how do you write like you're running out of time? Write day and night like you're running out of time. Every day you fight like you're running out of time, like you're running out of time. And I don't run as fast as I can. And like Caleb said, we're not on our timeline. If I were to die today, it doesn't matter. Our timeline is dependent on the believers um, or the non-believers that don't know Christ. You're on their timeline. And like this is saying, when they, say, or when they spoke this song, what I heard and about running the race was, I want people to be able to say about me, how do you run 
like you're running out of time? How do you run day and night like you're running out of time? Every day you run like you're running out of time, like you're running out of time. I just want people to be able to say that I live my life like I was running out of time. And I want to be able to be there and be the church that we're supposed to be and be the church to my college group and to y'all like we're supposed to be. It's not passion. It's not the lights. It's not the building. It's the people in it. And it's Christ's presence that makes us be able to run the race. Well, I don't have my cowboy boots on today, <laughs> but thank you, fellas, for sharing. Uh, we have, like I said, uh, 30 here in our body, uh, over 30 kids that are excited, and uh, God's just been doing work, and so I'm excited to see uh, what God is going to do, continue to do in and through each of them. And uh, we're in 1 Thessalonians. If you have your Bibles, go to 1 Thessalonians chapter number 4. Uh, uh, several months ago, started walking through the book of Revelation and uh, the revelation of the Christ. And uh, we're going to be picking that up in two weeks. And so, uh, but today we are covering uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 through 18. Next Sunday, Sanctity of Life Sunday, uh, why are we here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, 13 through 18 today? Because it's covering uh, what we know as the rapture. And uh, when you're talking about eschatology, those, those end-time things pertaining to God, uh, that's all that word means. Those end-time end time events pertaining to God, that's what's referred to when we say eschatology. And so there's several things that we talk about in church, and uh, one of them is what's called the rapture. Uh, today we're talking about the rapture. That's the next event to take place according to God's timetable. We're living during the days of grace. Some would even say, in fact, Scripture tells us we're in the end times today. Uh, but the next event to take place that we read about in Scripture would be uh, the rapture, and then we're into the tribulation. And uh, so the book of Revelation, when we're walking through the book of Revelation, which is what we have been doing, uh, the book of Revelation does not include uh, this event known as the rapture. Uh, because the book of Revelation, purpose for it is to reveal Jesus Christ. Not just to tickle ears or to answer questions about what's going to take place eventually. Uh, and so we don't find it necessarily in the book of Revelation. Now, the question would be, so where does it fall within the book of Revelation? I made mention of that as we were walking through. When you're reading through the book, uh, what we have is we have a revelation of Jesus Christ in chapter number one of the book. Uh, chapters two and three are letters to seven different churches, letters to the church, the church age in, within which we are living today. Now that he wrote to seven literal churches back in the day, but the application is for all of us, and not just churches collectively, but individual believers who make up the church. It's a letter to each one of us. At the end of chapter 3, and then beginning in chapter 4, chapter 4 and 5, we see a shift happen in the book of Revelation into heaven, and we see the church in heaven. And so what I would suggest is this. In, verse, in fact, you read 4 and 5, and it's heaven, and it's worship taking place in heaven. Chapter 6, is, is, is what's happening on earth. The period we know as the tribulation period. These are terms that we hear about. And so we're going to be walking through the book of Revelation. Uh, and so, in fact, we're in the midst of the tribulation 
in the book. Not today, but in the book, uh, we're in the midst of tribulation. Now, I, I would say that where does the rapture occur in the book of Revelation? I would say that the rapture occurs after chapter 3 and beginning in chapter number 4. Uh, that's what I would suggest to you. Uh, why would I make that suggestion? Well, the Bible says in Revelation chapter number 4 and in verse number 1, <clears throat> what we have is, is John the Revelator, and after these things, after what things? The church, the church age. I looked, and behold, a door standing open in the door in heaven, and the first voice which I had heard, uh, like the sound of a trumpet speaking with me, and said, Come up here. And I will show you what must take place. And immediately he was brought into the presence of God in heaven. If you go backwards, Revelation chapter 3 and verse number 10, the very last verse there, the Bible says, Because you have kept the word of my perseverance, I also will keep you from the hour of testing, that hour which is about to come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on earth. And so what we have is, I think, a promise from God to the church that, hey, the tribulation period that's going to be taking place, the ensuing period that's going to take place on the earth is not for you, is not for the church. And so, and so I think that this event that we're talking about today happens uh, between chapter number 3 and chapter number 4 in the book of Revelation. Today we're reading about it from 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, beginning in verse number 13. Chapter 4, uh, verse 13, the book of Revelation, or the book of Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brethren, about those who are asleep, so that you will not grieve as do the rest who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself, verse 16, will descend from heaven with a shout. With the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with <clears throat> these words. And so the book of Thessalonians is writing about uh, uh, this event called the rapture. And, and the reason he's writing within the letter in the book of Thessalonians is simply because uh, these people were living life with what we would call the imminent view of the return of Christ. What is the imminent view of the return of Christ? What that simply means is this. They were living life expecting Jesus Christ to come at any moment. They live life as though this is the last day upon this planet that I'll be alive, that Jesus is coming back for me today. That's how they lived. In fact, I've heard it said uh, we ought to be living as, as, as though Jesus Christ died just a few days ago, that he raised this, rose again this morning and he's coming again tomorrow. Therefore, live your life today like he's coming tomorrow. Uh, and, and, so, and so if we want to speed it up, Maybe it might be today. We don't know. But what's happening is these people, they were living their life in such a way, knowing that he's coming, and yet they're having brothers and sisters and loved ones who are passing away, and they're saying, man, what's going to happen when these people die? And what's going to happen? Are they going to be forgotten? What's going to happen when, when you come back for us and take us home? Where do they go? What's going to happen? And so they were worried about it. Their hearts were troubled. And so it's included in this book 
uh, to comfort those. And so the purpose, when we're talking about this passage of Scripture, why is the rapture included right here in Thessalonians? The purpose for the passage is written here. He says, I don't want you to be uninformed, brethren. In other words, there's information that you need to know about those who are asleep so that you will not be grieved as do the rest who have no hope. And then in verse number 18, therefore comfort one another with these words. And so for information and for consolation, that's the very reason why uh, it is included in this particular passage of Scripture. Uh, and so when you're talking about this event called the rapture, it's included a few different places in the New Testament. It's included here in the passage that we're going to be walking through this morning. It's included back in John, in John's Gospel, John chapter number 14. You can read about it. In 1 Corinthians, you can read about it primarily uh, from chapter number 15. And so there's basically three places. But in all three of those places, the reason behind why he is writing is for comfort, is, is to comfort the hearts of believers to know that God is in control of all things. And he won't forget about those who who have, in fact, passed away. The reason for eschatology, the reason for him including the information, the, in, in, the inclusion is not to satisfy inquiring minds, but rather to heal hurting hearts. And so when you're talking about this idea of death, he says, I want you to be informed. I want you to have some knowledge. I want you to have some understanding that for my children, for my believers, death is not the end. They're not forgotten. In fact, have you ever been to a funeral of a lost person. You ever been to a lost... I've done funerals for lost people, and it's a hopeless place. Why? Because, man, death for them means an eternity in hell just started. He says, don't weep like those people who have no hope. Why? Because for you, for the believer, death is not the end. Death, in fact, is the doorway into the presence of Jesus Christ. The psalmist said in Psalm 116, in verse number 15, he says this. He says... He says precious in the sight of the Lord, precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. We don't typically think of death being a precious thing. But Jesus, the psalmist says, precious in his sight is the death. Why is that? Because he has the, the opportunity when a person dies and goes to sleep, although their body is dead, their spirit's never been more alive. Their spirit walks into the presence of Jesus Christ. And so it says, don't weep like those who have no hope. Those that are lost, death means goodbye, and it means goodbye forever. But for the saved, it just simply means, hey, I'll see you later. We may have some missed tomorrows, and death is difficult to deal with, and there are seasons of mourning. But at the end of the day, there's hope for the believer, because they're not forgotten. It's just simply see you later. In fact, in fact I'll never forget, uh, with my father-in-law, we called him Pappy. Uh, but with my father-in-law, <clears throat> he died of cancer several years back. And uh, the last conversation I had with him, he was in a, a chair, kicked back. And uh, he knew that death was imminent uh, within any day. And, uh, and the last conversation I had when I left him was, uh, hey, he said, hey, if I don't see you soon, I'll see you later. That's the hope of a believer facing death. And so that's what the Apostle Paul says, man, be informed about death. Don't think that it's goodbye forever, but rather, I'll see you later. What's the basis for the belief for the believer? What's the basis for, for the belief of hope? Well, the Bible gives us that in verses 14 and 15. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, uh, even so, God will bring with him 
those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. Fallen asleep is a nice gentle way of saying they died. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. And so the basis, he's, he's saying if, that's not, that's not to express uncertainty, but rather a logical sequence. In other words, we could say, but since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, since we believe in a risen Savior, hey, and he goes on to say, it's based in the Word of God. Because He lives, I will live too. It's based in the Word. And so you can go through the Word and read all about the resurrection. That death is not the end for believers. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verses 20 through 23. 1 Corinthians chapter number 15, verses 20 through 23. The Bible says, but now Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who are asleep. Uh, for since by a man came death, by a man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all will be made alive. But each in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, and after that those who are Christ at his coming. And so when you're talking about the firstfruits, what does that all mean? Well, in the Old Testament they had a ceremony called the firstfruits, the ceremony of firstfruits. And what that was, was whenever the harvest was ripening, they would go out, the farmers would go out, and they would cut down a sheath of wheat, and they would bring it into the altar in Jerusalem and lay it down for two reasons. One reason was because, God, we thank you for the harvest. We thank you for the sheath. But yet, the secondly, the, the, this one single sheath, sheath that they would bring in and lay on the altar before God Almighty was to thank him, but also it was symbolic of the rest of the harvest that would be to come. And after they would go out and harvest all of the wheat, they would come back in and they would celebrate the harvest. In other words, if this was a symbolic, this was a symbolic, this was the first of many. And Jesus Christ is the first of many to experience Resurrection. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter number 6, in 1 Corinthians chapter number uh, uh, 6 and verse number 14, it says it like this. Now God has not only raised the Lord, but will also raise us up through his power. And in John 14, the Bible says it like this, beginning in verse number 1. Do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. And my Father's house are many dwelling places. And if it were not so, I would have told you. For I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself. That where I am, there you may be also. And he goes on from there. But he's just simply saying, hey, listen. There's a resurrection that will be had for believers. And there's some people, in fact, there's some people that believe in what's called soul sleep. Uh, soul sleep, meaning that when we die, we simply lay in the grave until one day, possibly. But I don't believe that Scripture teaches that anywhere. When you talk about what happens to a person in the moment of death, uh, what happens to a moment in the purpose, uh, when, when death occurs. I don't believe that we have soul sleep. In fact, I believe that your soul's never been more alive. I believe that you're ushered immediately into the presence of God Almighty in the moment of our death. When you look back through Scripture, how can I say such as that? Well, in Scripture, consider the thief on the cross. The thief on the cross, when he was dying, he said, oh, remember me, remember me. And Jesus Christ told him, today, 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 you will be with me in paradise. Today, 
Not you're going to go to sleep for a while and I'll see you when I return for my church. No, but today you will be with me. When you look at the transfiguration, you're reading through the New Testament and you see uh, the transfiguration of Jesus Christ. And in that moment of the transfiguration, when we're reading about it in the Gospels, what we see is we see Moses and Elijah there uh, with Jesus unveiled uh, in all of his glory. And so Moses and Elijah, they weren't sleepwalking. They were alive. They were alive. In fact, the Bible says it over in the book of Corinthians as well. I'm talking about this issue of soul sleep that some would say, would suggest, I don't believe in soul sleep. I believe your soul is wide awake in the presence of God immediately at the moment that we die. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 6-8. through 8, The Bible says it like this, Therefore, being always of good courage and knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. For we walk by faith and not by sight. We are of good courage, I say, and prefer rather to be absent from the body and to be at home with the Lord. I do believe in a resurrection. I do believe that we will be present with him. In fact, when you read through this text of Scripture, Jesus Christ already said in verse number 14, if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him. Well, how does he bring someone with him if we're not with him? They're with him. Today, today, and one day, there's going to be this event called the rapture. And this is the revelation of the rapture in verses 16 and verses 17. This is the cause for comfort. When he says, hey, comfort one another with these words. The cause for comfort, that Jesus hasn't forgotten about you. That he's coming back for you one of these days. And it's revealed to us what the revelation is going to be about, uh, or what the rapture will be about in verses 16 and 17. For the Lord himself, Jesus, will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we shall always be with the Lord. And so when we're talking about the rapture, there's three things that I want to draw your attention to uh, uh, <clears throat> about the rapture. Number one is the dissension of the Savior, the dissension of the Savior, that he is coming again. The Bible says this about him. There's going to be a shout. I don't know exactly what he's going to shout, but I do know there's a shout that's going to happen. And we don't know the hour nor the day. The son doesn't even know that, but the father's going to shout. I don't know what he'll say, but when we read through Scripture, there's a couple of different places where uh, the Lord speaks. In fact, when he called Lazarus up from the grave, when you're reading through, again, the Gospels, and you see the story of Lazarus. Lazarus has been dead several days, and Jesus walks out there into the graveyard and he speaks and he says hey Lazarus come forth remember that story and all of a sudden Lazarus Lazarus came up from the dead because he heard the voice of God call him out do you know that in Matthew's gospel chapter 27 we read about Jesus Christ crying out it is finished and when he cried out with his voice, even those who were in the grave heard it and came up. <laughs> I don't know what God's going to say. In fact, I've heard it said like this. Maybe you've heard it said, had he not called Lazarus by name, all of them would have walked out of the grave. <laughs> but there's going to be a voice from God. Maybe, hey, it's time. Come forth. Whatever it is, there's a voice. 
But then added to his voice will be the voice of the archangel. And we don't know, we don't know exactly uh, which archangel we are talking about. Uh, there's one that goes by name. Uh, the archangel Michael is in Jude and in verse number 9, we read about the archangel Michael there, and I don't know what he's going to say, what his voice is going to say. Maybe it's just uh, whippy. I don't know what exactly he's going to say, but he's going to say something. He, he might tell to try, hey, lick your lips. <laughs> I, I don't know what he's going to say, but he's going to say something. Get ready, get ready. And there's going to be the voice from the archangel. And then the Bible says, the trumpet's going to sound. You know, when you're talking about the children of Israel, the trumpet would sound for the gathering of his people. And typically, it was the gathering of his people for worship or war. One of those two things, typically. Interestingly, what will be taking place is the trumpet will blow to gather his people for worship in his presence in heaven forever and forever and forever and forever. It's a calling together of his people. There's going to be a trumpet. What's he going to play? I don't know, but it's going to be a trumpet sound. And for his people, it means worship. But can I tell you something? There will be ensuing war on this planet. The tribulation, what we're talking about in the book of Revelation. But at the moment of dissension, not only do we hear these sounds, but there's going to be a transformation that takes place. In fact, it's interesting when you're reading through uh, what's happening here because he says, he says, hey, I don't want your hearts to be troubled about those uh, who have died because I hadn't forgotten about them. In fact, not only have I not forgotten about them, the dead in Christ will rise first. And by the way, when that word dead, it's never used to refer to the soul of a saint, but rather to simply the flesh of the saint, to the body of the saint. The body's in the grave. And so the dead in Christ are going to rise first. Why the dead in Christ going to rise first because they're six feet behind need, need, need time to catch up <laughs> i'm not sure but the bible does tell us the dead in christ are going to rise first and, and and the bible teaches that when we see him we will be like him there's a transformation that's going to happen in that moment the bible says in first corinthians 15 Verses number 50 and following. 1 Corinthians 15, verses 50 and following. It says, uh, Now I say this, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We uh, will not all sleep. We're not all going to be dead. But we will be changed. We're going to all be changed. In a moment. In the twinkling of an eye. At the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound in the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For this perishable must put on the imperishable, and this mortal must put on immortality. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, we're going to be changed, built to last forever. The effects of Krispy Kreme going to vanish. <laughs> hey, In that moment, there's going to be a celebration like never before. Can you imagine the worship that's going to happen in that moment? You see, because what's going to happen is everybody is going to gather together. 
And the Bible talks about this moment. The Bible says, man, there's a banqueting table. There's going to be some food. There's going to be some incredible time. That's why we Baptists, we get together, we eat fried chicken and food. Uh, because because we, we enjoy that time together. There's going to be a banqueting table in heaven. But I don't think the roast beef is going to be dry. I think it's going to be good. It's going to be good. Hey, but you know what's going to happen? Uh, there's going to be a family reunion time in heaven. For some of you, you have the privilege to hug the little boy, the little girl that you never had the privilege to hug. It'll be an opportunity to hug your mother, your father, maybe your son, your daughter, your spouse that's preceded you. It's going to be a time that you have the privilege to meet Paul, Elijah, Joshua. Family reunion's going to happen. But do you know, as good as that is, heaven wouldn't be heaven without Jesus. What a day that's going to be. We sing a song, and the verse says, When we all get to heaven, what a day of rejoicing that will be. When we all see Jesus, we'll sing and shout the victory. Every time I sing that song in church, I ask the question, who's the all? When we talk about the rapture, although it brings comfort to the heart of the believer, to the unbeliever, to the unbeliever, there's no comfort in that. When we all get to heaven, are you one of the all? Are you one of the all? You know, this rapture that we talk about, that's written in Scripture, Jesus is coming, twinkling of an eye in a moment when you don't expect it. It's going to happen. And my question this morning is, are you ready? Are you running? Are you running? You know, the fellows mentioned earlier, are you living life with passion for Christ? Or are you passionate about a lot of other things? Where's your passion today? Do you have a relation with Jesus? And if you don't, I want to encourage you to call on his name. For God so loved the world, he loves you, that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. God sent Jesus into this world not to condemn you, but to save you from your sin. Because all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And Jesus demonstrated his great love for you and for me, and that while we were still sinners, he died on the cross. He didn't say, hey, I'm going to wait until they fix themselves up, and then I'll lay my life. No, because you can't fix yourself up, and I couldn't fix myself up. But God loves you unconditionally and desires an intimate relationship with you. And if you've never called on his name, if you don't have a relationship, I'm not talking religion because that's dead. I'm talking about life in Jesus Christ. 
And if you've never called on his name, call on his name today. Call on his name. We're going to have a time here in just a moment. We'll sing a song, and after we sing, we'll be down front. We're going to wait for you today. And maybe you're here and you would say, hey, I don't have a relationship, but man, today, I want Jesus to be my Lord and Savior. Come this morning. You come. Join me for prayer. Father, thank you for this day. God, I thank you for loving us. I thank you for your goodness to us. God, I thank you for the privilege and opportunity that's ours to be able to get together this morning. Just hear you. So God, right now, I pray in this moment that you would speak. Father, I pray for those that have never called on your name that today would be the day of salvation. Father, I pray for my brothers and sisters that God has testimonies have been shared. God, that we would have ears to hear you. Not me, not them, but you, God. Help us. Help us understand our own hearts. Why we do the things we do. God, more than anything else, I pray that we would have your eyes, that we would see what you see. God, I pray today that you would give us your heart, that we would love like, like you love, God. Father, I pray today for humility that we would receive from you. God, whatever you have for us today, thank you. Thank you for this moment. Thank you for this time together today. May you be magnified in me. May you be magnified in us as we respond obediently to your spirit today. Thank you for this time. Thank you for this moment. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.